this is something you're definitely going to want to cut out of the podcast. Uh, my, you, you remember how I, I did I complain to you guys about how there was a rat in my apartment? Yes. Yes. My dog killed it. Wow. <laughs> what? For her. Yes. She did right over there. Did you see her do it? No, she did it in the middle of the night. Julia, Julia got up that morning and was like, ah! <laughs> man, was there Carnage. like bloody rat parts everywhere? Or nah, did she, she, just... she, she, she did it right, man. There was a little bit of, there was a little bit of red mist, but, uh, but it wiped off. Did you eat the rat? Yeah. Okay. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we talk about short video games, the kind of games that you could pick up and maybe complete in an evening or a weekend. And uh, this week we are here to talk about a really short but really, really interesting game, Year Walk by Simogo. Um, I am joined this week by, as usual, Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Awesome. And I am, of course, joined, as always, by my twin brother and co-host, Shane Kelly. How are you doing, Shane? I'm doing so good. How's you guys' week been? It's been all right. Uh, I'm still chugging along at the Apple Store, which means this is a busy week for me. Mm-hmm. What with the announcement of new iPhones leading up to the release of new iPhones, and uh, as we record this, uh, the ongoing process of downloading and installing iOS 8. Yes, for our listeners today, when we're recording this is September 17th, and so it's iOS 8 upgrade day for everyone. How long is this supposed to take, by the way? Oh, you know, two, three weeks. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, but I just got back from a super long, awesome vacation and then followed that up with a pretty good session of Destiny about a week late behind everyone, so everyone's like level 26 and way stronger than me. But Don't worry. When I finally get my PS4 and uh, get started, I will be, you know, multiple dozens of levels behind everyone. So Yeah, well, fortunately, the way the game is built, leveling isn't really the the core of it. You can get to max level in a relatively short amount of playtime, so it doesn't take too long for you to get caught up with everybody. Gear is another thing, but you could be playing for like a week or two and get caught up level-wise. How much Unless fun have you been having? It. It's a ton of fun. Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm just now getting past what I'd already beaten when I played the beta, so it hasn't changed dramatically, at least the beginning content. But uh, I mean, it, the mechanics are so smooth, and the combat is a lot of fun. It it's a, just a really really good first person shooter as far as how it plays. So there's not a lot of, uh, you know, I haven't beat it yet, but the story's not very long. But I think that was intentional. I, I, I think the idea is play through the story and then get into some of the other elements of the game. Did you enjoy floating Peter Dinklage? 
I did. I did not know it was Peter Dinklage the, when I was first playing. Uh, they they do enough to kind of mask it. So unless I, I don't think I could have picked it out without knowing. Uh, they also have. Uh, did you guys watch The Wire? Oh yes, of uh, course. Daniels, yeah, Daniels, oh. the the lieutenant. He is a voice in it as well. He's the uh, one of the commanders, so that's pretty nice. I'm really looking forward to playing uh, Destiny. It's absolutely everyone that I know seems to be deeply, deeply sucked into this game, and it's completely not a short game, as far as I can tell. But uh, so we're gonna have to put the the podcast on hiatus for the first. They have a ten year plan for this game. This might be the exact opposite of a short game. Mm. Like this is. Like Skyrim is a short game compared to uh, to this game, but as I said when I was going through the the beta stuff, it is playable in short bursts though, which does make it nice. the The missions that you do, the strikes, the little raids, um, generally unless you die a lot, take less than two hours. Most of them coming in at around an hour, so you really can just kind of sit down and play come to a conclusion of that play of that session and then come back and play again later. Well, I'm really looking forward to checking that game out. I, I've been reading a lot of reviews and they've been pretty mixed. Um, some of them really positive and totally effusive and others have been kind of cool towards the game. And um, I'm not positive how I'm going to feel about it, but all of the games that it's been compared to have been ones that I loved. You know, I'm still a big, big, big fan of Borderlands 2 and some of the other um, I've actually heard some comparisons to weird stuff like uh, like the the structure is supposed to be similar to some of the fantasy star online type games. So I'm really interested in it, but I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to check it out when I finally get a PS4 and that's going to happen someday in the future question marks. So we'll see. Yeah, I think. A lot of the mixed reviews are coming from a misunderstanding of expectations, you know, because I think people were expecting a much grander campaign, a much grander story arc. Um, and I don't really think that was necessarily Bungie's immediate intention was for you to play through this sprawling RPG style level up world. Because like I said, you can play through all of the story in about 10 hours. But what they're doing is they're, they've already released new content, you know, within the first week. And I think they're planning on having this like constant evolution of new stuff coming out with the, the story arc really not the, the focus of the game, Mm -hmm. but rather just something that kind of moves you through to understand why there's different planets and, and the infrastructure. But I think because people were, thinking it was going to be like Skyrim with guns and and other people. And I don't think that's really right. I don't really know what to classify this game as. It's kind of in between the gameplay of something like Borderlands and something a little more traditional like um, Halo or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, One one of the hosts on Isometric kind of described this sort of game as the ultimate endpoint of games like Space Invaders. It doesn't really matter what kind you know why the aliens are here uh it just it just matters that we can shoot at them and and they react in beautiful amazing ways and you know you have to know what the different aliens do more than why they do it yeah and and you know back to what i said at the beginning the combat is a ton of fun and a lot of these reviews 
leave out the idea or the fact that playing with friends, and I know a modern online game shouldn't require you to to physically to have know, friends. For what it's worth, if you can or make friends in the game, you know, uh, it is exponentially more fun. It the teamwork that can be required because it's it can be tough. These strikes. I I played one the other night. And we just died a lot and just couldn't finish it. The, our group makeup, either myself or someone in it, wasn't good enough. And one of the, we died so many times, someone left. And then, you know, you can't beat it without a full group. So we all had to log out and start over. And this was with a random group of people. But playing with friends where you can actually talk and, and discuss what's going on, it, it's just so much more fun. Cool. Yeah. So I recommend it. I mean, again, I've only played it for like five hours or so. But I'm having a great time. Well, while you are playing the latest and greatest, uh, I've been continuing my retro game kick, and I've been playing a lot of older stuff. And um, it led to me finally uh, biting the bullet and buying a Retron 5, which I think I mentioned on the show before at some point. But um, the Retron <laughs> 5 is... is I a, love that you broke down and bought one of those things. I thought you were going to collect all the original consoles. You know... You I, bought a Sega Genesis. I may still do that. But the thing about the Retron 5 is, like, I was about to buy an NES and an adapter to be able to play Famicom games on it and an SNES. And then when I totaled all that stuff up, I was like, I could very easily just buy the Retron 5. And the Retron 5 was uh, the same. Uh, it, it was it, The MSRP on the thing is 149 No, 120 139 140 bucks but but they were really going all over the place for much higher than that because they were out of stock everywhere but finally think geek got them in stock and they were selling them at msrp and i got one of those emails that they send out if you have expressed interest in a product that wasn't in stock so it's a sign it's in stock at MSRP with free <laughs> shipping i now i have to do it so i i bought it and actually what's really exciting is that just after I purchased it, like a couple of days after, Hyperkin announced a new firmware for the thing that adds a feature that I think makes it absolutely killer. Um, if you've ever explored the world of uh, old games that were never translated into English, uh, you'll probably be aware that a lot of them, there have been fan translations that have brought some of those games out, you know, in English for American or, you know, other Western audiences. And um, usually the way they do that is with uh, patches for the ROMs. Uh, and basically what the uh, what the Retron 5 now can do is apply patches to your cartridges in real time. So you can have a Japanese language cartridge and put it into your Retron 5 and put a patch file onto your SD card and it will patch the ROM and let you play off of the cartridge. Well, it's actually a little bit... Essentially, the Retron 5 is actually dumping ROMs from the cartridge to internal memory and then playing from that. So it is uh, it is a little bit of a kind of an in-between place. But it is really cool that you can take a Japanese game, stick it into this thing, and play it in English. So I've actually gone on a little bit of a shopping spree on eBay, big surprise, and bought some uh, Japanese Famicom and Super Famicom games that um, I'm pretty excited about. And You've gone too deep. I know, I know, I know, deep. it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, it all it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish with this stuff. If you're looking to just play the games, the Retron 5 is awesome. If you're going like on the collector's side, then it makes sense to buy all the other 
all the other consoles and whatnot. I have to imagine that this is more reliable than the other consoles as well. Maybe, maybe not, but you'll get some much better graphics quality. Like the problem with the older consoles is many of them, your only option is RF or at best composite video, and they just look like crap. I've been playing um, this Sega Genesis and on a on a CRT TV, it would look great, but on a nice big flat screen, it just doesn't look good. Well, it doesn't look Wouldn't right. it be better just to pick up an old CRT? Can't you get a small CRT from a garage sale these days for like a dollar? I thought about that, but I didn't really find one that I wanted. And, and this is a little more wife friendly. Like, I don't think um, Jamie would be a, a big fan of me getting a 50 pound CRT TV and stashing it somewhere in the place. It's nice to play it on a big HD TV with with nice crisp graphics. It, it also adds features like save states and stuff. I don't know. It's it's uh, yeah yeah. It's that cool. does sound really fun. I mean the the just the ability to go down to Goodwill and and you know sort through some cartridges and have something to bring it home and play it on on your nice HD TV. And I've heard that it has like a wireless controller is that right did you get one of those it comes with a wireless controller it's not a great controller i I might try it a little bit but um it gives you the option to play with the original controllers it's got two ports each for nes controllers genesis controllers and snes controllers um and uh i think i'm probably gonna stick with those because the the wireless controller looks kind of like a piece of junk i'd definitely be interested in picking one of those up i am uh, enjoying my just playing through the emulators on my computer, but uh, we we should spend some time at some point talking about retro short games as a way of talking about emulators because I have never really fully taken advantage of that, and I know there's a lot of old amazing games out there that are only available that way, and I've never gotten a chance to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a fine line between something like the Retron Five and just downloading ROMs off the internet and doing emulation. And, um, you know, if you, if it, if it's enough for you to just, uh, download a ROM and play it on your laptop, you know, there's a lot of really good ways to do that. And you get a great experience. I, you know, I'm not going to lie in some ways it's better than buying cartridges. Um, the Retron five is mainly just because I have a kind of a weird attachment to buying and holding cartridges and i like that feel of walking over to a box and sticking the cartridge in the box and turning it on and and sitting down with the with the gamepad there's something about that and the crackle of the of the of the static electricity on the cathode ray tube of the television i know i know (laughs) it's it's picking the cartridge up blowing into it even though that does nothing it's the vinyl record of video games and i know that you know there are more (laughs) no that's that's wrong yeah that's wrong there's a benefit to there's a audible sound benefit to guys don't get me started on vinyl records (laughs) listen nate you're wrong vinyl records are a silly affectation in the modern era Reagan, do you not see the vinyl record player behind me in this Skype window? Can you not see it over my shoulder? No. Okay. Well, then I need to move my camera. (laughs) Here. (laughs) There we go. I see it. I know what you're going for, but that that, those are not the same. (laughs) I think it's the Instagram of video gateway. I don't even know. I don't know if you guys remember when we were talking about Crypt of the Necrodancer, 
Uh, I swore a blood oath. I wasn't there. Uh, Reagan will recall that I swore a blood oath uh, to find the best iOS, or I think I may have specified iPad, um, roguelike that I could find. And uh, I went on a quest, uh, and I died over and over again, uh, and had to go all the way back to the start. Like you do. Uh, But I came back, and I've got two recommendations for you. I couldn't keep it to just one. Awesome. Please do. So... Uh, neither one of them, I'm sorry to say, is strictly a true-to-form roguelike. Neither one of these is exactly a roguelike. One of them is a lot closer than the other, uh, and that's the one I'm really going to recommend to you today, and that is uh, a game called Wayward Souls by Rocket Cat Games. And Wayward Souls is kind of like a cross between a roguelike and a SNES RPG sort of in the, in the style of um, secret of mana. Hmm. Is it like an action RPG style? Yeah, it is. It's so it's not turn-based. That's the one thing that I think, but it does have permadeath sort of a lighter, friendlier version of permadeath where you keep your gold, but, but lose your upgrades. It's got lots of different character classes. It's got, I want to say six character classes at the moment, and each of them plays very differently. But the thing that I'll call out as as the best on this game is it has really, really good enemies and really, really good controls. Uh, I've been playing tons of this game. You start off by picking one of three of the characters. You unlock more as you play. And uh, with access to one of the dungeons. And as, as you complete a dungeon... Um, you're going to unlock both characters and new dungeons. And uh, as you progress through each dungeon, timing is super important. All the enemies have a little bit of a pattern. Um, There's lots of different enemy types. Each of the different characters, like I mentioned, plays very differently. Some are, you know, there's the classic mage and uh, hero with a big sword and axe. uh, But there's also like a... um, kind of a spell sword guy and a cultist that you can play as. Um, and the a levels spell are very... sword guy. Yeah, he's, he's called a spell sword, and he's a guy. Okay. <laughs> he's got a spells and a sword. I think you've just completely sold me on this game because I was looking at this. Uh, I follow these developers on Twitter because of some of their previous games. They've been pretty good. But this game has been one that, for whatever reason, I just had decided I wasn't going to sink any time into... But now that I'm looking at it, and they've made a lot of updates to this since it came out. Um, they I'm... have, and that's an interesting thing about the way they're doing this. Uh, this is a game that one of the things that sold me, right at the top of their description, they say there are no in-app purchases in this game. And you guys know how I feel about games that try and nickel and dime you with in-app purchases. I would much rather pay upfront. They started the game off at 5 bucks. Every time they do a major update, they up the price by a buck. So the game actually costs more today. I paid $7 for it. It's at $7 right now, $6.99. Yes. Um, I do not feel cheated one bit. This is an awesome game. You've said enough. I've already bought it. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, as far as short game stuff goes, uh, the entire purpose of a roguelike Calling it a short one, you really don't want that, really. No. 
you should it should be infinitely replayable. And this game probably is. It's it's definitely that that randomized. Now the other game, this is an even shorter uh, short game. Uh, but neither of these games is one that you'll complete in a, in a weekend or an afternoon. This other game, I I feel I'm stretching it a little bit to call this one a roguelike. Uh, and there are some great roguelikes in the store. Like, um, Nate, you've told me about 100 rogues. I did try that, and it didn't really, uh, oh, man. Didn't really love sink in game. for me. It it took me a while, but I love that game. Well, maybe you can explain it to me, because that one didn't really, really catch me. I know it's sort of, it's definitely more of a traditional roguelike, but it had a lot of sort of unusual attributes that kind of put me off when I first started. It is a little wacky. They they've kind of gone for this kind of like a little silliness around it um, in like the design of the characters and whatnot. But uh, it's it's really about like resource management while diving deep into this into the uh, into the dungeon. I mean, your ultimate goal is to kill the devil, which to me is always a fantastic uh, quest. It just sets up a game perfectly if if you like right out of the gates. You are to go deep into hell and kill the devil. <laughs> Come here, Satan. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a good ultimate goal for any dungeon crawler. I'd give it some time. Try playing yeah. it. Think of it. Think of it as like every weapon you have, every throwing thing you have is a is a resource, and every step you take is a resource. And it really helped me understand the game and do a lot do okay. a lot better. I'll that's definitely awesome. keep coming back to that. I, I, my last. Um, my last run through it, I think I got mauled by rats and gave up. So uh, <laughs> play as the um, play as the knight too. Uh-huh. That's probably the easiest one. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll start it over and I'll I'll try as the knight and uh, I'll get back to you on that one. Cool. Uh, please, the uh, please the last do. thing, and I'm gonna just only say a couple of words about this one. Um, this game is called Ten Million. It came out about two years ago, so it, there's a chance you guys might have played it or seen it. I've not heard of it. Ten Million is a dungeon crawling RPG match three puzzle game. Huh. And this is a game I actually played when it first came out for the iPhone, and I loved it then. And this kind of uh, hunt for a new dungeon crawler on iOS. Uh, led me back to it again, and it's been updated a little bit, and uh, it's still an amazing game. It's a game with, uh, like a lot of these games, drop-dead, simple, uh, pixelated graphics. Uh, But instead of you actually crawling a dungeon, um, your little avatar at the top of your screen is crawling the dungeon, uh, going down a long, straight hallway... You down below are matching symbols in a in a sliding tile match three game, uh, similar to Bejeweled uh, in most ways, uh, and you are matching swords if you encounter a enemy or uh, magic wands to also attack uh, using your magical attack. You're matching uh, shields to block attacks from from the enemies. You're matching keys to open doorways or um, chests uh, and also matching backpacks to get items uh, and matching wood and stone to get materials to build your underground hideout. 
you're leveling up uh, kind of a your character, uh, but what you're doing is you're just sort of achieving longer and longer runs on the puzzle game. Like, the better you do, um, the longer a run you can do. And the, the thing that re- really makes it interesting as a puzzle game is you have to be matching these tiles, uh, not just sort of willy-nilly. You have to do your matches you have to match the right thing at the right time. So if you come up against an enemy, you have to be matching swords. And if you come up against a doorway, you have to be matching keys. And enemies, doors, all that stuff just slow you down. And if you get pushed all the way off screen, you die. You've run, your run is over. So slowly, slowly, your runs get longer and longer. And you build up these strategies. It's a really neat puzzle game. That's awesome. I love yeah, match three puzzle games. Cool. I play... Um, uh, Tetris Attack, also known as Panel de Pawn, uh, also known as um, uh, Puzzle League, endlessly, and other match three puzzle games like it, like Puyo Pop and so on. So I, I, I'll give that a try because I'm always on the lookout for a good match three puzzle game that gives you some reason to play other than just matching things like having something extra going on either competing against another player or against a clock or against something like that that sounds really appealing Mm -hmm. so that looks yeah i think you dig it all right i'll put some links about three bucks on the app store it's also available for android Speaking of iOS games, the game that we're talking about this week is one that's available for a number of platforms. It started on iOS for iPhone and iPad and uh, is now also available for Mac and PC. I'm not sure about Linux, but, uh, you know, who uses that uh, through Steam? Also on the Mac App Store. If you say something bad about Linux, there's a very small but very fervent group of people who are going to be incredibly upset with you. You just lost us all our listeners, dude. Be nice. Come on, guys. Nobody develops games for Linux. Anyway, um, Yearwalk by Simogo is a pretty amazing game. Um, so had you guys heard of this game back when it was brand new? Because it's, it's not a brand new game. It came out um, in 2013. I actually had heard about it. Uh, and I heard about it. I'd seen art from the game because... There's some incredibly striking images in this game. Like in particular, I remember being uh, really struck by the image of this sort of uh, pale horse in a uh, in a suit coat, uh, sitting in a lake, kind of balefully gazing at you. And the art styles, it's got this beautiful sort of cut paper and and hand painted looking art style uh, that really sets a, a, an incredible kind of tone and the, and the snowy landscapes that make up the game are, are beautiful as well. So if you've listened to our show and might have caught our episode on uh, uh, Apple Design Award winning games, we talked at some length about another game by Simogo called Device 6. And uh, that was a game that really played on some of the special aspects of 
playing a game on a touchscreen device and did some things that were really interesting narratively um, while it was just it really was a cool game and managed to pull some tricks that I'd never seen before. Your Walk actually predates that game, but is by the same developer and does a lot of other interesting things that really makes you it, it, it does a lot of things that I've never seen a video game do before in terms of interface and also in terms of just the kind of story that's being told and the way it tells it. So before we dive in too deep, I want to say that this is a game that I think we need to be very careful about spoilers with. This game, the best way to approach it and the way that I approached it would be knowing relatively little about the game. I'd read only what you can read in reviews typically on the web, and um, uh, I saw the trailer for the game, and I'd heard some of the soundtrack, but I went into it more or less not knowing what the game was really truly all about, and that's how I would recommend approaching this game. So we will be very judicious about how we place our spoiler break in this episode and when we get to the spoiler break if you have not played this game yet i would strongly recommend grabbing your iphone or your ipad or your mac or pc downloading the game and giving it a try it can't possibly take you more than a couple of hours to get through and then come back and join us for a discussion hopefully i'm going to have hopefully an in-depth discussion of the meaning of the plot and some of the stylistic and design choices that the game makes that are really fascinating and totally worth talking about. It may take you more than a few hours if you're like me and apparently not very good at abstract puzzlers. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't call this abstract at all. Most uh, like an abstract puzzle game, you know, we'd be talking about a bejeweled or a thing like that. But this game has very concrete uh, adventure game style puzzles that are yeah it's just uh, I, I i don't know about that though it's way more you really got to spend some time thinking about it mm -hmm. more, like an adventure puzzler is like oh there's a button on the floor and there's a cube in the sky how do i get that cube down on that button this is more way more complicated than that the puzzles are yeah. deep mysteries yes and there are clues scattered around that you really will have to take notes and collect the dots. Collect the dots. <laughs> Connect, not collect. So let's set up the game a little bit and then talk about how, how the game is played. Um, Your Walk is a game about Swedish folklore. Simogo is a developer out of Sweden, and uh, it's a pair of, of developers, actually. And this game is an exploration of a Swedish folk practice. When you open the game, you are treated to a little bit of a description of it in a text form. And also, the game comes with, if you're on an iPhone or an iPad, it's a separate app called Yearwalk Companion that you download along with the game and uh, features a much more in-depth description of the folklore of the game. So Yearwalking is a apparently as far as i can tell from all the research i've attempted to do on the internet totally real swedish folk practice it's a divination uh practice where if a person wants to see the future uh they would spend a night uh usually the night before a significant holiday like new year's eve uh, not eating uh, 24 hours beforehand they would stop eating they would not allow themselves to see a fire which would be a significant thing in the cold of winter in Sweden and uh, they would stay up until the stroke of midnight on the new year 
And then they would come out of their dark room and they would go on a walk. And they would walk to the, uh, to the church of their town. Usually along the way, they would encounter mysterious mythological Swedish creatures. Um, and actually here, I have the uh, Wikipedia article on it, which I think does a better job of describing this process than I do. Um, different regions of Sweden give con- contrasting explanations for how this was accomplished. Uh, from Smalland and Belke, the Yearwalker was supposed to lock himself up in a dark room without speaking to anyone nor taste food or drink. At midnight, he or she walked to the parish church or to a cluster of different churches and then circled it three times or more. And then he or she blew into the church's keyhole. With this, the Yearwalker temporarily lost his or her Christianity. When this happened, supernatural beings appeared and challenged the Yearwalker. If the walker managed these tests, glimpses of the future could appear, either in vision or by sounds. These could be interpreted as glimpses of what would happen in the following year. The phenomena could vary greatly regionally or even in the same district. So the idea would be that this is a way of seeing the future, seeing who would live and who would die, or whether you would become wealthy, and so on. And... Um, this interesting folk practice is one that's you know not widely talked about and not widely researched, um, which I think is actually kind of a fascinating uh, aspect to this. Um, there's been a lot more talk about this folk practice on the internet since the game came out. It's had an actual effect on the sort of scholarship of Swedish mythology. Um, but um, that's that's what you're enacting in this game. At the beginning of the game, you speak to the woman that you love who tells you she's not sure whether she's not going to marry you or not. And you're going on a year walk to find what the future holds for you. That aspect of the game, the kind of mythological aspect, is played to very beautifully in the art style. As sort of creepy and strange as that description of this of this practice sounds, the game itself will drop you into even greater depths of strangeness with its incredible imagery and uh, the mind-bending puzzles that it holds. So we won't talk about the actual content of the puzzles um, or hopefully even the types of beings that you meet while you're walking um, before the, the spoiler break, but perhaps hopefully some of our listeners are just about to play the game and you know are downloading it and its companion app on their iPhone and iPad right now. Please go do that. Um, but what sort of advice would you offer to someone about to undertake their their first year walk in the app? Every, everything matters. Uh, write down uh, what you see. Uh, I think this is a game that um, is best played with a, a piece of scra- a scratch paper and a pen. Absolutely. I don't think I would have been able to complete it without taking notes um, and drawing a map. I, I've found that the... PC and Mac version actually yes. includes a pre-drawn map, but the iOS version doesn't. I think it kind of intends for you to draw your own. So play this game with a piece of paper and a pencil, or if you're playing the PC version, you can reference the in-game map. It's not a complex um, game geographically. It's actually cover you're covering a very small amount of ground. Yeah, the entire the entire game, um, I would say, is a, takes place in a circuit of locations that's. Uh, has a few things forking off of it, but uh, for the most part, I can't imagine that it has more than like 30 or 40 locations. Mm-hmm. 
It's probably probably less than that. I think it was maybe like 15 at the most. And you only spend a few moments at each location. So because that number sounds like a lot of locations. But once you see how they handle it, mm-hmm. it's really not that. Yeah, that I, many. The game itself, the gameplay uh, was something that took a little getting used to uh, because it wasn't something I'd seen before. It felt kind of like a pop up book. Yeah, it felt like. Uh, because as you move through the through the levels, you're not uh, walking around uh, in a way that you're used to in most video games. You are uh, able to to walk or pan side by set side to side. I played on the iPad, so so swiping left and right lets you pan uh, left and right across a scene, um, and the 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 scenery is all rendered in this beautiful. Um, what's the word for that? background moves it looks like sort of cut paper like a diorama or a or a pop-up book is very apt it it has the the feel of a really exquisitely designed and slightly creepy pop-up book yeah and it all moves in parallax was the term i was looking for yeah um as you as you slide left and right so it is a first person game um but it's not like a first person game that you would expect it is 2d except with very few small exceptions there are a few objects that are three-dimensional but it's this very two-dimensional game and the uh the way that you move from area to area is that you'll find say a path in the woods and you swipe down or up along that path so you're moving left and right within an area you're moving forward and back between them um sometimes one area may have two or three ways in, sometimes just one. Yeah, the map is actually really, really simple. You can sometimes feel lost, though, because you have this very limited perspective. You know, you can only see one small part of the diorama that you're, you know, walking around in. Um, yeah, and- what tricked me a couple times is you can go backwards but not necessarily immediately notice that you can go backwards. That's true. They show arrows on the screen at the top and bottom to indicate which Mm -hmm. directions you can go. But as you're panning across, it can be easy to miss those. What else can we talk about without spoiling this game? I mean, we're talking about, oh, you can go up, down, left, right. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) The art is good. (laughs) Some of the puzzles will require you to think about, to to sort of take a step back. And like device six, we talked about a lot about this with device six. You you sometimes need to take a step back and think about the device in your hands and how it works. you know, there are moments where you will need to really use the multi-touch, you know, touching multiple things on the screen, uh, multiple fingers on the screen at a time. Or if you're using the PC version, it has other types of interactions. Um, there will be times where you need to use the tilt of the device to your advantage or, uh, or other things like that. And even times where you're going to need to switch between apps on your device, between Yearwalk and the Yearwalk companion app, in order to accomplish things in the game. So it has this feeling of, you know, oh, I'm I'm playing through this game, this story, I'm involved with this character, but it does remind you I'm holding a device and I am, you know, interacting with it 
One of the big uh, inspirations for this game was actually, uh, uh, Simogo has said that one of the biggest inspirations for this game and also their later game, um, Device 6, is iOS Safari. You know, the different types of interactions that you have with that. So keep that in mind as you're playing the game. Sometimes you'll need to use multiple fingers. Sometimes you'll need to use other, uh, other tricks that you're iPhone or your iPad gives you and that you've probably seen in other contexts and other apps, uh, but here they're kind of used in a new way. Yeah, that was one of the things that took me the longest to um, really get adapted to was thinking of it in that way. How to like how might I need to use my fingers during this puzzle, which is not something that you're used to at all on any type of iOS game. Generally, they set out the uh, you know, the parameters right at the beginning. There'll be little buttons on the screen that you control or, you know, you figure it out and it doesn't really change that much. You might get new moves or whatever, but they're explained to you. This one, it's like... There's never... Here, yeah, most games, there's never yeah. a surprise in terms of, oh, I didn't know this game involved that type of interaction with this device that I'm holding in my hands. Whereas this game sometimes surprises you with new ways that you can work on the world that you're inhabiting. Yeah, and in really inventive ways too. That's what I've come to expect from Simogo. I'm I'm really um, now planning to check out some of their other games. I know we've mentioned Beat Sneak Bandit being one of their uh, their games that's worth checking out. Yeah, I really enjoyed Device Six. I um, I think I probably enjoyed Device Six more, but not out of any disrespect for Year Walk. I just really liked the tone of Device Six and and the kind of atmosphere that they built this one is beautiful as well so i'm not i don't want to say anything negative about your walk but i found device 60 be even more enjoyable i actually i actually disagree personally i like your walk much better than device six but um i think it's just a matter of personal tastes um your walk i just it really uh tickled my interest in weird folklore and it, it just is such a fascinating experience um so i don't think there's much more we can say without going into the details of the story and giving away maybe elements of the puzzles as well one final spoiler free thought um samogo has a game coming very soon called the sailor's dream and i know very little about it uh, apart from the name but uh uh from some images that they've shared on twitter and things like that i'm very very excited i'm going to continue to watch uh, Simogo for for games, particularly for iOS, uh, as long as they keep making them. I can't wait. Yeah. That's awesome. And one other thing that I would like to say, too, I don't think this really is spoiler, um, but you are virtually required to wear headphones when you're playing this oh, game. Oh, yes, please do. Mm. The music and, and, and the sound, sound is, is fantastic. Um, and on a practical level. So that we'll get into that here in a moment. That's true. You you need to be able to hear what's going on in this game. And it's even better with headphones. Yeah. The music is phenomenal, and you'll be hearing some of that in the episode. I'll be dropping some of the soundtrack in, so you're probably already hearing some of it. Um, and there's some really great sound effects. Just a simple one is that as you move around, you know, although you're doing this sort of swipe and tap and drag that in some, some ways can feel very um, virtual, 
you do hear your character's boots in the snow as you move, and it kind of gives you that connection to the fact that there is a person moving around this space that seems to be just a little flip book for you to flip through. So um, yeah, great sound effects, and there are some puzzles in the game that involve the sounds that things make. So you will want to make sure that you can hear those and also want to make sure that you can hear the great, the great music that's part of the game. All right, so now here is your spoiler break. Following this spoiler break, we'll be talking about the details of the plot as well as probably some of the solutions to some of the puzzles. And the game has some really kind of deep aspects to it or at least perhaps um, things that will provoke speculation. So we'll be speculating about the game as well. Um, we'll see you on the other side of this cool drum beat. Let's talk about what happens on your year walk. And I should say what happens on your first year walk, because this is a game that in order to truly complete the game, you'll actually require multiple playthroughs, or at least two, really. I think just two. Um, what happens on your first year walk? Well, um, when you begin the game, you have an interaction with the... Um What's the name of this girl? Uh, Stina. Stina, yes. Um, and she tells you that you know you you can't be together, and, and that's what what starts the year walk. For when you. you guys when you guys went to her in the old windmill, did it take you a while to get there? Because I pretty much I don't know if this was I I want to know from someone else who's played it. I don't know if I just happened to do this or if it like subliminally leads you there because I went almost perfectly to the windmill right out of the gates. Like Same thing here. I think that they do a really good job of kind of leading you along that path. There were other times where I got lost, but never then. Yeah, that's what I definitely got lost later on, but like I was pretty surprised at how quickly knowing, you know, after after I'd played a little bit, having realized how large or how many options there were that I had found the immediate plot device within the first move. So maybe they must do something to, to lead you there. Yeah, I think I think there's you're limited in, in what paths you can take at that time. Ah, that um, would make sense. When you do get there, there's an interaction with her, and then the, the game truly begins in earnest uh, when you've decided to set out for your year walk. Uh, your character, whose name is Daniel, um, starts off at his home, uh, a little red cabin, and uh, you really, from that point, my experience of the game was just one of wandering around because I knew that there was going to be puzzles, but I, I assumed uh, as soon as I found the very first puzzle, which was a, a puzzle box pretty much right outside your front door, uh, that the answers to the puzzles were not going to be self-contained. You'd need to explore and, around and, and get lost. And it should be said that that puzzle box that you find at the very beginning of the game is entirely unsolvable. You cannot solve it during your first year walk. It is impossible. You know, Reagan, I, I, I want to. I just want to say something about our spoiler policy. I, I think we could get a little stricter because I don't think we should be sharing the solutions to the puzzles or uh, full explanations of the puzzles 
I know that there's if there's listeners, they're probably still listening. I know how I listen when I listen to a podcast. You know, uh, we've we've given people the stern warnings, but you're out there and you're still listening. And you don't want the answers to these puzzles because you're going to ruin the game for yourself, guys. Okay. Well, I don't think it's going to spoil anything to say that the uh, there are red herrings in the game. The puzzle box is, during your first playthrough, completely a red herring. And I don't think that, I mean, you, I don't think it spoils anything to tell you don't waste your time trying to solve the puzzle box your first time through. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. There are lots of clues spread widely around. Um, some of the first that you see are carved into the trees and the, the clues, as you get them, you just want to be, I think, writing all of them down. That was my mistake as I first got started. My first experience in the game was just one of wandering through this landscape because mm-hmm. I found it just incredibly beautiful. The, the snow, the trees, um, all the strange, unique things that you would find, the weird, um, carved stones, things, paths through the woods. Uh, there's a lot of strange little things that you'll, you'll come across like the, like the strange little glade of trees or the, the shed that has a, a carved doll inside. Creepy doll. Yeah. There's so much creepy stuff in this game. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was, I actually got through the whole game, never drawing a map. I don't know if that's you, Reagan, you said you made a map. How about you, Nate? What did you do? I did not. Um, I was playing this game in the car a lot, and so I did keep some notes using the note application, but I did not um, I did not draw anything. I took a few screenshots as I went as well. Like if I encountered, like for example, when I came across the um, carvings on the trees, I'd take a screenshot, that kind of thing. And those came in handy a little later when I needed to refer to them. But um, the first sort of, overtly supernatural thing that you'll encounter um, is and it really helps to read and sort of study the companion app as you go because it describes the mythological significance of all of the creepy surreal characters that you'll encounter and it really gives you hints that will help you solve the puzzles Um, I think that reading between the lines of the mythological stuff in the companion app was really what helped me solve most of the puzzles with ease. Yeah, I used the the thing I liked about the companion app is it gave me idea an idea of kind of what's next. You know, the the first one is the um the lady, the like floating lady that into the tree. <laughs> I know that was really vague. Um and after that it's the horse in the water. And that's the order that they're discussed in the uh, in the companion app. So it made sense to kind of follow along with that. Yes, sorry. The first one I've just found the name is the the Huldra, um, who is a mythological uh, sort of forest nymph that has a kind of a creepy uh, siren vibe of you know luring men to their doom, but also can sometimes be helpful. Yeah, we should just preface that. Because I think we're going to say creepy a lot for the next, like, <laughs> next like 15 minutes. So just imagine with everything that we're describing, we're saying the word creepy before, <laughs> before we say it. And that'll really cut down on our, uh, on our time here. Yeah, there's a creepy horse and a creepy suit and a creepy lake. Yep. <laughs> so you, uh, you follow the Heralda 
to her lair, which is within a old tree, and you solve a puzzle involving sound. Really a cool one, actually. Did you guys find that easy? Because I, I found it pretty easy, but a lot of folks that I was reading on message boards found it quite difficult. Maybe they were tone deaf or something. Well, that's what it took me a minute to put that together. You know, that that's what I need to do. I managed to make it through that puzzle, but I couldn't tell you how to do it. Like, I, I, I was listening to the sounds, and one of the sounds sounded right, and the rest sounded wrong. Yeah, you just wanted the one that was sort of on key and sounded... Like, when you would first walk into each of the sort of layers, uh, it would play a tone, and then you would see a bunch of little lights and each of those lights would also play a tone and you just wanted to choose the ones that sounded on key with the overall tone of the room um so really vital to to hear those sounds and to hear them well because if you aren't picking up on those off key sounds you'll miss the puzzle um and then uh, the Hrolda, the creepy lady, hands you a key that dissolves into liquid, it dissolves into water, which hinted at the next step that you needed to take, which was to seek out the brook horse. The brook horse is the next mythological creature described in the companion app, a creepy horse that lures children to their drowning deaths it would uh it would wander around um encouraging children to climb onto its back and as it did so its back would stretch to accommodate all of the children that would that would climb aboard and once it had the correct number of children however many that was it would dive into a brook and drown them all um, and there are other references to uh, drowning in that. So this character is linked with the other important character, the Mylingen or the Myling, which is a uh, uh, ghost of a baby or or murdered child. So um, not to go into too much detail about that puzzle either, but basically you have to bring the brook horse some sacrificed children that you have to find around the the various areas of the game and the brook horse when he has his fill of of ghostly babies uh retreats into the brook and gives you a key but the key is snatched away again by the night raven uh, then you have to use your wits to grab this weird light and light your way into a dark cave and climb up a long ladder and meet with the night raven and finally you get a third key from the night raven and that key doesn't dissolve or disappear uh, it's one that you can carry with you to the church gates so with all of those puzzles and we'll leave the details of those puzzles out so that you can explore their coolness yourself um was there any one of those that particularly stopped or frustrated you or any that you thought were particularly cool? I will tell you there was only one place in the game where I was stuck and it was not a puzzle, um, but it was a uh, element that kind of branched off from a puzzle. I had solved the puzzle in the sort of uh, basement, basement or bunker area. Uh, but what I had not done was noticed that there was a little board that you could pull aside that would drop a ladder. 
that would allow you to climb to the Night Raven. That was a tricky one. Yeah, I think I only discovered that by accident as I was moving left and right through there. Um, That board sort of seemed to move when I touched it and pulling it out, let the ladder drop from the ceiling. I I only found it on my kind of third pass through uh, running around there. For me, I don't know if I was just like tired or, you know, I'd been in a car for like 10 hours when I started playing this game, but it took me a minute and I had the same thing with device six. It took me a minute to like, get in the right mindset for this game. And what really, like the creepy hanging doll, Mm -hmm. when I first went in there, and this is like the first puzzle, when I first went in there, I was like, that's creepy. And I noticed that its head would spin. And I was like, oh, that makes it even scarier. But I didn't, (laughs) you know, I didn't put it, I didn't spin it. But yeah, you you really had to crank that thing. You know, and so I was like, oh, that's weird. And I moved on. And only after a while of really, really going back and 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 touching everything, to put it bluntly, uh, did I and I noticed the owls on the wall. Did I put it together? Um, so I, that took me a little while, which was pretty dumb because it's like the first one. But I really got an understanding of the map. Because I went through every <laughs> went through every part of it yeah. multiple times. Well, to me, that was one of the most enjoyable parts of the game was just exploring the map. And very nearly all of the map is actually open to you from the very beginning. You know, the only yeah. real blocker in your way is the church gate, and that's a fairly late obstacle. You can't get past the church gate until reasonably late in your first year walk. Not everything in the environment is related to the game. Not everything is all about the puzzles. A lot of it is just there to be beautiful and to give you something, give you atmosphere. And I really appreciated just the style of this game way more than I appreciated the gameplay or the puzzles, which though those were good. This was a game that I appreciated the artwork that made it up. more than the sum of its parts yeah once you've made it past those initial puzzles with the uh the brook horse and the arsgang and the mylings and the night raven then you've finally gotten the key to the church gate and you can proceed past the church gate and into the churchyard and that's where you see the first three-dimensional object in the game which is the church itself and so as you've read in the year walk companion and you've you know uh, read over the description of the year walking tradition you know that you have to circle the church and you can do that uh, once you've figured out how many times and in what directions to circle the church uh, as expected and this is the build towards this moment over the course of the game was one of the things I thought was the most effective about it. You know from the first minute that you're eventually going to meet the church grim, the the uh, the spirit of a sacrificed goat or animal that was interred underneath the church and acts as its guardian, but also a kind of a boogeyman. So you know that you're going to meet this church grim when you get there, but it builds that up and builds that up until he finally appears and it's truly haunting it's a scary weird moment and as you've read in the in the yearwalk companion it tells you in the yearwalk companion that you, you know you read that from the very first moment you play the game that 
touching the church grim's heart gives you a glimpse at eternity and so you can spread back the church grim's clothing and there is his heart beating and you can touch it and suddenly you see a very different view than you've seen throughout the whole game the entire game is played in this sort of tightly letterboxed view and suddenly the view changes the world around the church grim and the the rest of the game falls away and your entire device's screen is filled with a sort of an otherworldly almost mathematical looking three-dimensional view of well these sort of abstract objects and there are some very slight little puzzles to solve but you kind of see that you know this is the moment where daniel the main character is seeing his future and you see that mostly in some glimpses of images and buildings and in some text that begins to appear and um what should we say about the text? Should we discuss it? I think it's important if we're going to discuss the ending of the game and what it means. Can we spoil that? Mm. Ah, that's tricky. It is tricky. So here's our spoiler break within a spoiler break. We're about to be discussing the meaning of the ending of the game, which is worth some... Uh, it's, it's, it's a thing that I really want to talk about because it's a, it's a... The game has a sort of weird... Um, difficult to interpret ending that I think requires some talking about. So we're going to yeah. be talking now about stuff that, no, this is the real deal, guys. Spoiler break. If you haven't finished the game, now would be a good time to go and finish the game. Are we on the same page then? There we go. Yep. All right. So among other things, the text at the end of the game tells you, I, you know, you should stop coming here. I do not love you anymore. And that's the words that are presumably, you know, Stina, the love of Daniel's life, is telling him in the coming year. He know, now knows that in the next year, she's no longer going to love him. And finally, he comes out of his vision into what seems to be another vision of the future. Uh, it's no longer winter, it's summer. So you're clearly seeing the future. And you pan through this, you know, bucolic you know, landscape with the with the windmill familiar from earlier in the game turning in the background. And there is Stina lying on the ground. And as you get to her, you realize that she, she's not lying, you know, in repose. She is lying dead and she's bleeding from a knife wound. And that's the end of the game. The credits roll and you hear a really, really excellent song by Jonathan Eng, um, who did the other did the song for uh, your for Simogo's other game. Um, Jonathan Eng's song is called Oh the Joy and I'll probably be dropping it into the show about this point. Oh the joy I can see the light Oh the joy I can see the light Oh a burning torch appears in the distance bright and clear Oh the joy I can see Uh, really a great song and uh, the whole soundtrack for this show this game was phenomenal the rest of the soundtrack apart from this one song is by daniel olson i'll have a link in the show notes to the album that you can get on Bandcamp. um but it's really a sad and upsetting ending you know the yeah. the ending is that stina is dead and daniel 
it, it's difficult to interpret, but may have killed her. Um, and then you get, and of course, you know, she's decided that she doesn't love him anymore, and presumably that's why the murder occurred. Um, but then you get to the end of the credits, and you get a kind of a cryptic message from presumably one of the developers, or actually, I think the fictional uh, academic who wrote the articles about the various uh, mythological creatures that go into the Yearwalk Companion. Um, and so we're told that we can go and unlock some additional content in the Yearwalk Companion app by putting in a code that you'll, you'll get at that point. And putting that in unlocks a ton of new reading material in the Yearwalk Companion in the form of a journal by the academic who was studying the Yearwalking tradition. And as he, reading through it in chronological order, it's just a bunch of very, very short, simple journal entries, including some photos. Almost it, like tweets, most of them. Yeah, like a, like kind of a day one entries. <laughs> um, you you pick up on the fact that he's been studying this year walking tradition and looking into the historical story of Daniel, who was the last recorded year walker in Sweden, and um, who was convicted of murder, you know, for killing Stina. And uh, long story short, he discloses a lot of information about that story, and you realize that, or he realizes that he can affect the past he can send a message back to daniel and so if you play the game a second time you'll have the knowledge to unlock the ununlockable puzzle box and come to a different although perhaps not quite as satisfying not, as, not yeah not a much cheerier ending but at least a different ending you have a choice yes that was where i thought the game really deserves some talk about interpretation. What was your interpretation of that final second ending when you you perform your second year walk? Well, I think it is intentionally left a little bit uh, up to you to interpret, but he's, he's essentially receiving from this future man uh, proof that he kills the woman he loves. You know, uh, it's it's the the newspaper clipping, and he gets a he gets a knife and a note and this scrap of paper uh, that essentially all it tells him is you know here's a knife you know what to do yeah and the the paper the clipping of the news clipping that he gives to Daniel um, says something along the lines of uh, Daniel you know. At the headsman's axe said, if only I had killed myself, uh, you know, all of this could have been averted or something like that. So apparently it was Daniel's dying wish that he could undo what he had done um, by killing himself. It would have been the only way to, you know, avert this tragedy. And so, you know, Daniel receives this knife and then the, and this note, and then the game is over again. Yeah. And so you're supposed to ask, you know, the question, does he use that knife to kill himself or does he complete an infinite loop and go and kill Stina, which I guess would in this world happen just over and over and over and over again, because that's generally how those time travel things work. I don't know. I mean, 
I guess it just depends. Are you glass half full or glass half empty type of guy? Did he kill? Unfortunately, in this situation, the glass half full is he killed himself. And the glass half empty is he killed the woman he loves. So none of, none of these are happy. And I will say that I went through this game. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that these are the only two endings available. I combed through the game. I tried other things. Like, for example, there are some other years mentioned. The the um uh, the code in the Yearwalk Companion is a four-digit number. And so I combed through the game for other four-digit numbers to see if I could unlock any yeah. other information to uh, to try for a different ending. And I, I tried every other variation that I could think of. For example... Um, I tried a little bit playing farther into the game before unlocking the uh, the box uh, and getting the knife versus getting the knife right at the beginning. Nothing seems to change it. So really, there are just these two endings as far as I can tell. I did a little research online as well. I think that's the consensus. I don't think anybody has found any other material apart from that. But it's it's haunting in both endings. But the second ending at least gives you the sense that all of this came to something that perhaps Stina survived the game. And um, I did find it satisfying. I did find it to be like a really great way to let you go back and dive into the game a second time and do something a little different. And I'll say that the the final puzzle that involves looping out to the companion app was my favorite puzzle of the game. It'll definitely be the most memorable one to me. Reading through the journals in the companion app was really enjoyable. They did a really great job of telling this story of a, of an academic going slowly insane, learning about this year walk tradition. And um, you feel a real connection with him because you've just spent the last possibly two hours or so of your life also going a little insane trying to figure out this year walk business. And I just thought it it was something that I'd never seen before in a game, this sort of booting you out to do some research on your own before you could go back and continue the game. And, uh, uh, yeah. Well, with that and the, the story, the way it all, uh, I don't, I don't think it's safe or not safe to say that I did not see that coming mm. <laughs> at all. And so with that and how unorthodox it is to leave the app and do something in another app, which I can't even think, of another, not even just game, but like other iPhone thing that has me popping in between apps other than like stuff that I'm manufacturing on my own, like copying and pasting and stuff like that. But where it, requ- where it requires you to do it uh, adds this depth to the game that that sticks with you. It has this feeling of like an alternate reality game. You know, you've a lot of uh, things use these sort of tactics, these mysterious hidden things in unexpected places as a kind of a, you know, part of a larger marketing thing or, you know, as a, uh, as a sort of a mini alternate reality game to kind of promote something else. But here it's something that you do entirely on your own and this discovery, and it really feels like a discovery, um, is is core to the experience of the app and the game. You could totally play through this game without ever installing the Yearwalk Companion, um, and you'd only ever get that one ending, and you'd be missing out on a lot of this interesting context. But um, it lets you discover this stuff as you play that makes you feel like this game isn't just a game. It's a part of a larger thing. It's a, it's it 
it, you could almost fool yourself into believing that you're reading the journal of this guy who they consulted while making the game and that it affects the the play. It's a really a cool technique. I think if any if anything I can complain about from the game is that I wish they had taken that aspect of the game and gone much, much further with it. Really, we, we ultimately only needed to make one round trip out of the game into the companion app and then back. I think that this is such a fun and a compelling idea that uh, if they do this in another game, and I don't know if they'll ever return to this idea, but if they did this in another game, I would love to see more bouncing back and forth uh, between these two apps. Uh, maybe more ways that the content you discover in one app can inform or or change the content in the other. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen more possible endings. Like I said, I, I felt like there was a uh, um, there were enough red herrings in the game and enough sort of dense information in the companion app that I really felt like I must be missing something. There must be some way to make things turn out even a little better. Um, and I almost would have liked to have had the opportunity to to unlock more stuff and to, to dive back into this year walk more times. But I also think maybe it, it's good at the length that it's at. You know, it's it, it doesn't feel repetitious or um, tedious in, in the length and the amount of this that, that there is. Maybe more would have not been better. I think this was a really interesting game. It pretty much defines the short game. I played through it in maybe two hours. Yep, it's the perfect length for me. And I think all of our listeners hopefully can go out and pick it up. It's now available on many different platforms. It's out there on the Mac, the PC, iPads, uh, possibly Android. I'll double check this one. Um, yep. No, iOS, Mac OS X, and Windows. You can pick it up on Steam. Uh, you can pick it up on the Mac App Store. And you can pick it up on the iPhone or iPad App Stores. Um, personally, I think uh, this is a, a great app for mobile, a great game for mobile. Uh, so pick it up on your iOS device of choice. I played it a little bit on my iPhone and a little bit on my iPad. I preferred it on the iPad because the art's so beautiful, but it's easy to mm-hmm. play on an iPhone as well. It is indeed. And I actually think that in some ways the PC or Mac version could be a nice change. You get a little bit less of the weird uh, interactions that you get from tilting or you know, multi-touching the device. But um, you also get the benefit of a nice big 1080p screen that you can sit real close to. So um, maybe that's better. That could be. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful game. It's created with love, uh, and it's this. I think it's the only time we've done a second game by the same developer on our show. So, Simogo is definitely a a group to watch, and uh, I will be back on the show as soon as Sailor's Dream is released. Uh, they've listed as late 2014, so it could be any time now. So are you are you saying you're not going to be on the show again until Sailor's Dream is out? Sorry, guys. Uh, bye. <laughs> oh, bummer. Because next week <laughs> we're probably going to be discussing Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. And I was really hoping to have you around for that one, bro. Yeah. Oh, that's adorable. Because 
because you're brothers. Well, sometimes sometimes you need your brother around, and sometimes uh, he's he's got to not be on the show because he promised he would not be back till Sailor's Dream comes out. Oh, so. all right. <laughs> Accidentally. Accidentally. And I live up to that. I, I stand by my oaths. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Both of you guys, thank you for joining me with this episode of The Short Gun. Short. Did I just say The Short Gun? You did say The Short Gun. All right. The sawed-off shotgun. Welcome to The Short Game. (laughs) Oh, God. Thank you guys both for joining me, and uh, thank you listeners for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Um, Hopefully we'll see you back next week when we discuss Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. It's a really, really cool game. It started out on the Xbox, but now, of course, it's available on Steam, and... um, uh, it's a if you have ever played eco or other uh, similar adventure puzzle games played with a controller it's a good similar game to those and it has some things about it that really affected me emotionally it's a game to play with a gamepad this is i hope not a spoiler it is a game that you will want to make sure the vibration function of your controller works uh, because that's important to the functioning of the game and um Uh, don't even bother trying to play it with a keyboard and mouse it doesn't work this is also a really beautiful game so i think it'll be a nice transition from year walk over to brothers a tale of two sons expected to take about three hours to complete at the very most is it windows only it is windows only so you will need to boot into windows to play this game sadly But it's not a particularly demanding game. You should be able to play it on practically anything that will run Windows. You can also download it on the Xbox 360. So, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at underscore short game. And uh, we are tweeting feverishly about different stuff. Um, So keep an eye on us there. Um, You can also follow me, your host, Reagan Kelly, on Twitter. I'm at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Nate, where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Nate STL. Yep. And Shane, where can people find you on the interwebs? Hit me up on my uh, on my mobile. That was terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's late. My jokes get worse as the night goes on. I'm like a I'm like a bad joke werewolf. Yep. Um, wait. That was also bad. See? <laughs> Werewolves don't get worse as night goes on. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> They get bad real quick, and they stay that way once a month. Yeah, and, well, or they get good at being a werewolf. That's true. Werewolves don't get bad. No, I mean, like, like so bad it's good, you know? No, we need to talk about this a little more. We need to talk about werewolves in depth. Maybe we'll start another show. Don't even try to find me on the internet, but if you want to at 8BitShane. All right. And of course, you can find the show notes for this episode. Anything that we mentioned that seems of note, we will have a link to, and we are at www.theshortgame.net. I will leave you with some music to get creeped out by.